0: So we're taking it for granted right now that I can speak and you can understand what I mean. Not only that communication systems exist, but that they can communicate very specific ideas. I can describe abstract concepts or complex or novel ideas, and just by listening, you can take away at least a high percentage of the meaning I'm intending to convey. It's pretty cool, and we can rightly be a little proud of the systems we've created, but how good are they really? Is there something better out there? new possibilities that we haven't thought of, tonight we're going to look at not just how the body talks, how a mouth or a keyboard or a microphone transmits a message, we're going to look at the language of the spirit. Stay tuned. everybody. It's that time again. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. I'm going to be hosting the show and hopefully moving it forward as necessary. If you want to be part of the program, we run a live question and answer at the end or just question and talk about it since we, I often don't get around to answer answers, but I do my best. And so you can you can offer thoughts to Here, I want to hear comments, you know, obviously I'm going to put forward a, a worldview based on Swedenborg and, and other kind of reasons reasonable things, but what do you have to add to it? You know, jump in, you can be a part of it. So that's gonna be fun, and today we're gonna talk about how spirits talk. And where I was sort of trying to think of what to call this episode was gonna be called How Spirits Communicate, but it's not necessarily focusing on... a lot of people when they hear something like that would think of communication across the veil. Or how do you have communication from people's spirits to, to us here who are inhabiting bodies, uh, according to the theory. Um, but it's really more about how spirits talk to each other, which it would be how they communicate with us as well, but there's a, there's a whole language to learn there. Who knows? That may lead to people picking up messages or signals or what have you. I love that, what have you, that phrase. Uh, but... You got to know the underlying sort of structure. And Swedenborg had a lot to say in his experiences. He got to see a lot of different modes of communication and experience them, and we're going to try to look at them and uh, see how they apply and what they teach us. That's what we always do. So we're going to do it in sections, and let's start by laying the foundation, talking broadly about the nature of spiritual language. Oh yeah, so how are these guys going to tell me what the nature of the language between spirits are? Well, welcome to the show. That's the kind of thing that we do here, and we're going to do it initially through the medium of the book Heaven and Hell, and this is Swedenborg's most popular book. uh, And what we're going to do with that is check out some instances. As with all these, we're going to look at Heaven and Hell 236, Uh, and as with all of these, you can download the book. Just click that book there. It's a free download PDF or ebook, so you can follow along if you'd like, or explore farther, because we just read a little number, and then we move on, uh, but you can explore more. Although we will get to a lot of this section in Heaven and Hell here. Okay, let's get to these words. All people in heaven have the same language. So there, there's your opening statement. They all understand each other. No matter what community they come from, whether nearby or remote, this language is not learned but is innate. It flows from the very affection, from their very affection and thought. The sound of the language corresponds to their affection and the articulations of the sound. The words, that is, correspond to the mental constructs that arise from their affections. Since their language corresponds to these inner events, it too is spiritual, for it is audible affection and vocal thinking. So, I like that, audible affection and vocal thinking. This is the direct output. Here on this show, I can sometimes struggle for words or or have a concept I don't quite know how to convey, but there, this is like pure material, pure transmission. Uh, And notice there, he uses that word correspondence as a Swedenborgi word, which can mean a variety of things, but there means it it exactly... communicates with, or associates with, meaning what you're feeling comes out in the tone of your voice and in other factors, and what you're thinking perfectly displays itself in the words, the concepts that you put out. Let's go to the next number in Heaven and Hell as we continue to expand our, our view on the language that Swedenborg reported. More about angelic language. Angelic language has nothing in common with human languages except certain words that are the sounds of a specific affection. So some words have something in common with angelic language. Yet this is not true of the words themselves. Oops, I was wrong. This is not true of the words themselves, but of their sounds. Angels are unable to utter a single word of human language. This was tried, but they could not do it. That You might not notice this just kind of skimming over, but that means he saw angels trying to say, okay, I'm going to try to say butter or something like that. They couldn't do it because they can utter nothing except what is in entire agreement with their affections. I have been told that the first language of men on our earth was in agreement with angelic language because they had it from heaven and that the Hebrew language agrees with it in some respects." So a lot of little uh, fascinating factoids in there, but two, that if I was you watching, I might say, "Wait, what about are these?" First of all, wait. Uh, angels talk to people. Meaning, if you go uh, check out near-death experiences or just everybody's reports of, I saw an angel, people get talked to by angels all the time. So Swedenborg is saying angels don't talk. So how do you reconcile those two? We're going to do it, but you're going to have to be patient because we're not going to do it until this section here. So can you hang on? It's not going to be that long. It'll seem like no time at all with how interesting (laughs) this stuff is going to be that we're going to talk about. So there's one. The other is Hebrew is partially angelic. And Swedenborg seems to be saying that, and actually... He says that multiple times and in multiple places, and we want to get a little deeper into that, so we got a language expert. Uh, this is Kara Dom, who have seen on the show maybe before. She's a Latin consultant for the New Century Edition, so the tra- new translations of Swedenborg's works that you will download when you click that box. Uh, and here she is, she's reading something from Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences, where he goes into a little more detail with what he's talking about, uh, about Hebrew language having some kind of spiritual element to it. So here she is.
1: Then also, a little paper was let down, written in Hebrew letters such as they wrote them in the most ancient time, differing from the Hebrew letters at this day, only little but still somewhat. And the angel who was with me said that he understood everything written there from the individual letters alone, and that each of the letters contained some mental image, indeed the meaning of the mental images and also said what Yod, what Aleph, and what He mean. But what the rest signified, he was not allowed to say. But he did say that all things of the word were inspired in this way. And that consequently, when the word in the Hebrew text is being read by a person on earth, the third heaven knows every inspired heavenly divine element and that all of it and every least thing in it concerns the Lord. This meaning cannot be explained because it is the heavenly meaning itself, not one single mental image of which can be expressed. This all shows that the word, as the Lord said, has been inspired as to every jot and every tittle. So a jot and a tittle, those are pieces of Hebrew text. The jot comes from the the word yod, which is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It kind of looks like an apostrophe, and it hangs up there, you know, above the line. It's just a tiny little And it acts like a Y, which as in English is sometimes a consonant, sometimes a vowel. Um, it's also related to the word uh, iota, which is the Greek smallest letter, the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet, and is also just a sort of apostrophe looking thing. Um, which uh, is used to mean a tiny little thing in our language. In the English language, it's used to mean a tiny little thing. And the tittle is the very tip of a Hebrew letter. They're written in strokes, like you can imagine, uh, a brush stroke. And so the very tiny tip that points upwards, that's the tittle in a, in a Hebrew letter. Um, in a new translation of jot and tittle, I think it was rendered the smallest letter or the smallest tip of a letter or something like that. That's what a jot and tittle is about. And the, and the phrase jot and tittle is common in English these days from the Gospel of Matthew where uh, Jesus refers to it. I spoke with them about how it came about that simply the form of the Hebrew letter should present those things. And it was said that the cause came from the form in which heaven flows, which is of this character. And because those angels are in this flow, which makes the basis of order, they have perception from that.
0: So it's a giant tangent. Sorry to go on it. But I feel like there's certain things in Swedenborg that you can't just run by without some kind of explanation. And you see what she, and right at the end, we could do a whole other tangent. On, there's on that, because she's saying there's a flow, a flow of heaven, and somehow this is a flow of heaven that angels can be in, it can be in, but yet can manifest itself in writing. So somehow it has its own sort of shape. Uh And actually... There's even more about that, the Hebrew connection, and we'll get to it, uh, but not till the end of the show. All right, let's get back to Heaven and Hell and our regularly scheduled programming. This is 239, just talking more about the general nature of spiritual language. The language of angels is also full of wisdom, since it flows from the deeper levels of their thought, and their deeper thought is wisdom the way their deeper affection is love. Their love and wisdom unite in speech. As a result, it is so full of wisdom that they can, in a single word, express what we cannot say in a thousand words. And the concepts of their thinking can encompass things the like of which we cannot grasp, let alone articulate. This is why the things that have been heard and seen in heaven are called inexpressible, such as the ear has never heard, nor eye seen. Uh, and that's, um that's a quote from uh, the Bible there that he's referencing. So, there's not only is it pure, like it it expresses exactly what's going on, but it can hit you in a way that that all of our communication methods here can't do. And let's do one more section from that exact same number in Heaven and Hell to close this one out. This is his experience of being exposed to that stuff. At times I've been conveyed into the state in which angels are, and have talked with them in that state. At such times I understood everything, But when I returned to my original state, and therefore into the normal thought processes of physical consciousness, and wanted to recall what I had heard, I could not. There were a thousand things that would not fit into natural ideas, and were therefore inexpressible except by subtle shifts of heavenly light. And not at all, then, in human words. So he can go up there, and when he's in the state, when he's in that moment with these angels, Yeah, oh, I get it, I get it, man. But then when he comes back down here, he just can't put it into words. And you see this phenomenon across near-death experiences as well. People will talk about, uh, sometimes they'll say, I had blocks of knowledge or this cosmic download come into me. But when I woke up, you know, when I came back, uh, I couldn't remember it anymore. And I remember somebody saying in one of theirs, the cosmic knowledge was gone. You know, they had like all these answers. People will often describe you you can ask anything you want and it gets answered and you get it but when you you come back I even think somebody in there said uh that that the angels or the beings of light were saying you're not going to be allowed to remember that when you come back here so it seems like Swedenborg was experiencing something similar there all right so we've got from generalities let's get into some more specifics let's go to part two love and vowels All right, so let's begin this, uh, this segment here with the power of language to move somebody. And there's a little anecdote that Swedenborg, a little story Swedenborg tells here. Again, can you tell we're working our way through heaven and hell? See, he obviously considered language interesting enough to put sort of in his, his uh, overview of the whole thing, which was this book, Heaven and Hell. Since angels' language corresponds to the affection of their love, And since heaven's love is love for the Lord and love for our neighbor, we can see how elegant and delightful their conversation is. It affects not only the ears, but also the deeper levels of the minds of those who hear it. There was one particular hard-hearted spirit with whom an angel talked. And eventually he was so moved by what the angel was saying that he burst into tears, saying that he couldn't help it. Love was talking, and he had never cried before. So, there you have... uh, the power of the language of angels, and you see, he says that it's a direct expression of what's going on, and, and there's all this love in the heart that comes out like purely, that in a way that you can tell this is what's going on. And he said he was hard-hearted, as Swedenborg described. He's got some kind of tough exterior, or or is shut down in some way, but he just couldn't help it. He's like this is this was so beautiful, love was talking to me, I couldn't help it. So that the conversation can reach that, and we may see shades of it. Here on earth, like sometimes we, we say things that are really this is love talking, but there I think it goes to another level. So there's one part. Now let's take a look at at sort of visual speech and, and the use of vowels and which vowels do angels like best. Okay, this is Heaven and Hell two forty. When the details of angels thought and the consequent details of their language are presented in visual form, which Schwenberg says can happen all the time in the spiritual world. Thought can be seen. They look, what do they look like though? They look like a subtle wave or flowing atmosphere in which there are countless elements in their own pattern, elements of their wisdom that enter into thought at a higher level and stir the affections. The speech of heavenly angels is like a gentle stream, soft and virtually unbroken while the speak, speech of spiritual angels is a little more resonant and crisp. Then, too, the vowels U and O... So this is... Swedenborg gets so specific about this kind of stuff. That's part of what's fascinating about him. Then, too, the vowels U and O tend to predominate in the speech of heavenly angels, heavenly angels being the, the most in, interior or the deepest, the most loving angels, while in the speech of spiritual angels, it is the vowels E and I. The vowels stand for the sound, and in the sound there is the affection. So even different vowel sounds carry different kinds of affection. Further still, the language of heavenly angels lacks any hard consonants, and rarely puts two consonants together without inserting a word that begins with a vowel. Since affections are expressed primarily through sounds, words that use U and O are well-loved in human language to express great matters like heaven and God. Musical sounds tend in this direction as they rise, when they are dealing with such matters, but not when they are dealing with lesser things. This is why the art of music is so adept at expressing various kinds of affection. And I think it's interesting that he says, U and O, I mean, these are like the celestial vowels, so we use those to talk about heaven and God, except heaven doesn't have those in in English, so it couldn't be that English is not that tuned in. I mean, a lot of people have critiques of it, but you know, maybe it's a little farther from source or something like that. I don't know. It works for me though. All right. So, there's specifics on vowels, there the language can move to tiers. Uh, there's also the ways that language is packaged. And I want to look a little bit at, at parables or metaphors. And this is something that that is not necessarily like Swedenborg said, oh, angels uh, or spirits always talk in metaphor, but it is something that appears almost universally in the instruction, in the tools of instruction in spiritual traditions. If we take a look here in Buddhism and Christianity, uh, we first have a little quote from... uh, From a website about Buddhism. You can see the link there. Buddhism has always been fond of parables, and many of these parables were used by the Buddha himself. He taught by parables, for men of good understanding will readily enough catch the meaning of what is taught under the shape of a parable. Let us read this simple and yet moving stories with the eyes of a child and the mind of a beginner, for they are the pointing fingers the gateway of spirituality. So not just that, hey, parables are useful, but these are important. And then from the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, and with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And Swedenborg takes this even farther to say that uh, the entire Bible, the entire Old and New Testament, is written in this symbolic language. Uh, that 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 statement, he didn't speak without a parable, applies to everything, you know. And if you want to dig into that for two hours straight, <laughs> check out these two ep- check out these two episodes here: the meaning of Adam and Eve, what the seven days of creation mean, because that's where we got just deeply into these small stories and that parable that Swedenborg says that the parable, the style of parable that that the Old and New Testaments are written in, is a physical, an earthly container for spiritual things, that the, the, I keep saying physical, that's not quite the right word, the earthly stories, the stories we read that have names of people and cities and places and that kind of stuff in them, that's a container, and through the language of symbolism, is holding the spiritual meaning inside it, and that that's part of the way that, that the two, that sort of the heavenly and earthly meaning can come together and that we can learn one from the other. So check those episodes out. But not right now, because you got to stick with us, because we're going to take a look now at pictures and gestures. So maybe at the beginning of the show, you were saying when we read the first thing that said in heaven there's one language you maybe said hey i want my money back man that's there's no way there's just wouldn't life would be dull we have all these different languages on earth and i'm a linguist and i love language there's only one language in heaven why is everyone the same how is that heaven so to try to win you back here's a number from heaven and hell 244 because in swedenborg you gotta, you gotta give, hold it lightly when you start to read because he'll say something and you might think, oh, that's what he means about everything. But then he'll clarify it in other parts, sometimes in other books. no, you know, it's more nuanced than that. But I just stated it like like it was one thing, because here he says, there is, as already noted, a single language for everyone in heaven, but it does vary in that the language of wiser people is more... So he goes now into how it does vary. The language of wiser people is more profound and more full of shades of affection and specific concepts. The language of less wise individuals is less profound and not so full. The language of simple people is still less profound, actually consisting of words that yield meaning only the way they do when we on earth talk with each other. So there's like, the more you grow in wisdom, you actually, you can start out using words, but somehow you graduate to other things. There is also a language of facial expressions that switch over to a sound modified by ideas, So whatever that would be, I won't even try to imitate it, and a language in which images of heaven are combined with concepts and the concepts are presented visually. There is also a language of bodily movements responsive to affections and portraying the same things that their verbal expressions do. There is a language of shared affections and of shared thoughts. There is a thunderous language." And there are other languages as well. So there's actually it's bursting with variety. And you see, some of those are just like uh, bigger and badder versions of the stuff that we do here. For example, uh, you know, in writing, we want to try to communicate emotions. On the same time, so on the left, we came up with these little faces that that kind of enhance the writing, which sounds like the like like you can enhance with facial expressions. And then we have our own sort of body language um here too i mean it, obviously i'm if you notice me talking to you in this show i'm always like waving my hands around and doing thumbs up and stuff because that communicates as well uh so but it sounds like there's more there and there's there's beyond that there's thunderous language there's sharing of ideas there is mental imagery, and even body language itself goes to the next level there, as he describes in two places, one, Married Love, number 314, and True Christianity 6. And this is about hands, and how much hands can communicate. He says, angels can see in a person's hand all the thoughts and intentions of his mind. And then in true christianity when i was home again he's describing an experience a voice from heaven said to me reflect on these three universal characteristics above and the three below and then we will see them on your hand they said on your hand because everything that we reflect on with our intellect appears before the angels as if it was written on our hands so in they, they weren't even like, oh, I just know what you're thinking. They're like, think about this, and then we'll, we'll read it off your hands. So hopefully you're getting your weekly dose of, of strangeness. Uh, if not, stay tuned. Seeing ideas is another thing that Swedenborg describes in Heaven and Hell and, and his book Secrets of Heaven to introduce the individual ideas of anyone, whether an angel or one of us, can be presented visually in heaven's light when it so pleases the Lord. So you sort of think of an idea as something sort of like a sentence, but here he's saying it's more like an object. And then in Secrets of Heaven, a thousand and eight subsection two, because some of these numbers are so big that you get subsections in there with them. The nature of ideas is hardly known to anyone. This is what I'm talking about. They're not just sentences, they're things. People imagine that there is nothing complex about them. When in fact, every idea within thought contains countless elements variously linked together so as to produce a certain form and consequent picture, image of the person, the whole of which is perceived and even seen with the eyes in the next life. Take this merely as an example. I'm always glad when he says an example, because if you're wondering, what's he talking about? Here we go. When the idea of a place comes to mind, whether of a region or a city or a house, the idea and an image of all the things the person has ever done in that place crop up at the same time, and spirits and angels see them all. Or if the idea of somebody whom he has hated presents itself, the idea of all he has thought, said, and done against that person arises at the same time. So kind of like... A- enemy Facebook. Like, go back and say, oh yeah, this is when I was really mad at that person. So, for some good use. Everything in the spiritual world is for some good use. Some kind of like, hey, maybe it's time to move past that. The same applies to ideas of all things. But when these present themselves, every single detail that he has conceived of and impressed upon himself regarding a particular matter becomes apparent. Furthermore, the idea of one thing merges into the idea of the next and colors it just as a tiny quantity of black, or, like, black ink placed in water darkens the whole volume of water. Consequently, a spirit is recognized by his ideas. And what is remarkable, each one of his ideas bears his own image or likeness. So somehow our ideas reflect us. That if you were looking through some kind of storehouse of ideas, you could say, oh, look, that's one of Jerry's ideas, you know, that, that's how he thinks. Or that, there's Martha's ideas right? that There's something of us in our ideas. So, ideas can be presented visually. And this got me thinking about, is there a connection? You know, there's a lot of people in the world who say that they are getting some kind of input from the spiritual world. I'm thinking of um uh both what you would call psychics and like energy workers, people who will get information about people. And it often comes through in symbolic imagery. So I was wondering, you know, is this the same phenomenon That Swedenborg is describing. Well, we happen to have a friend of the show who was on another episode named William Stillman, and there's his website there, you can check it out. He's written, he's won awards for the books he's written, but he also does psychic work with people, and he says that when he gets information about people, it comes in the form of images. So here he is listing some of the imagery and what it means that he gets, and it's not just like, specific to the, he'll get images over and over again, and they come to mean specific things. So, and these are very, you'll see very modern references in here. So, I want to take a look at these and then do a little comparing with what Swedenborg saw. So, here's William describing uh, some of the images that he sees that give him information about other people.
2: So, if you were impressed with the icon of a cake with lit candles, it's pretty obvious that that would refer to a birthday, a celebration, or possibly an anniversary or a family gathering of some sort. Another icon that may manifest, and these are fairly common themes that I've seen in my spiritual work, is that of two rams butting heads. Beyond the surface value of these animals engaged in some sort of conflict or combat, for me, and probably for many others, this would symbolize conflict or a ramming or a butting of heads in relationships, usually with a parent and child. Anytime I've been impressed with the thought of someone in military uniform saluting, it is a reference, obviously, to someone having served our country. Anytime I have seen a car tire spinning in mud and stuck in mud, it means that someone is feeling challenged to move forward in their life around employment, relationships, or in general, just happiness. Anytime I've been shown a ship, it pertains to someone preparing to take a trip or planning to take a trip. This is one for the old timers and a lot of younger people may not recognize This person, this is Howdy Doody from the very popular 1950s television program. Howdy Doody was a marionette who was extraordinarily popular with young kids. And anytime I've been shown Howdy Doody, I associate that or correctly interpret that with someone who has had a relatively happy and carefree childhood. Anytime I see a swollen ankle... That's a symbol to interpret that someone may be dealing with diabetes. Milton Berle is another comedian from a certain era that some of our younger viewers may or may not be familiar with, but anytime I've shown Milton Berle, it means that someone wishes to be remembered for happy times or sharing a good laugh together. Another Hollywood celebrity, Frank Sinatra, this one comes up often in my spiritual work in that i hear frank sinatra actually singing i did it my way and i've been able to correctly interpret that correspondence as meaning that someone was very stubborn very strong-willed and they absolutely did things their way anytime i'm shown a stove with one burner still on that's been left unattended that is my symbol for a correspondence for someone who may have Alzheimer's or dementia. Anytime I'm shown a basketball scoreboard that is racking up points or accruing points, that is um, a most important and a really gracious correspondence that I've learned to correctly interpret as someone who is taking effort and investing time and energy into transforming their life, rising above their circumstances, and becoming an improved version of their old self, such that they are literally racking up spiritual points while they are still here in human form.
0: So I want to take a look at that because two reasons. One is to to think about spiritual things in the modern world. cuz reading Swedenborg he wrote a couple hundred years ago you could think oh yeah things things from the past have spiritual meaning or things from nature have spiritual meaning but here he is describing pop culture stuff modern uh, modern technology ovens basketball scoreboards and that these things can be symbolic and have meaning you know that that um this stuff because this is the stuff in people's minds so i it's interesting to me, take from it what you want, but are we seeing, is that a modern example of what Swedenborg is describing in the uh, 18th century here? If you take a look at Spiritual Experiences 688, he's describing something that seems to have a similar vibe Um, about horses that were seen. Many times I've seen horses, as well as horse-drawn carriages, and in fact, various colors and various sizes. So he was seeing these, but... He didn't know what they meant. I have learned today that these stand for human learning. In the, and so he's seeing these things in, in spirit. In the good sense, intelligence, but in the bad sense, that, lear, that learning which distorts true intelligence. And once earlier I learned that one can also tell from the horse's position what it stands for. When the rear end sorry, everyone, of the horse is turned toward the face, then it symbolizes a distorted order and a distorted belief brought on by learning. That is, when as a result of learning, people have become insane. Or entirely stupid in spiritual matters, believing in nothing but what is earthly and worldly, and that they will die, having no life remaining after their death. In this case, their knowledge suffocates all understanding and belief regarding spiritual life. To such as these, the rear end of the horse is turned. Indeed, they are cast into the horse, although unwillingly, they are thrust inside to their great distress and shame." Um, and I wasn't laughing at their great distress and shame, but just that's so weird. Um, that and I, we just left that last sentence on because it's in there. But so he's saying that, and this is all this is an appearance as well. It's some kind of process. Um, but horses, which direction they're facing, and you can get put into one if you're if that's like where your mind is drawing you. So that, but but he's saying here's a horse, which direction it's facing matters. Is that like William Stillman saying? If there's a basketball scoreboard racking up points, that's what it means. Is that how is heaven talking to a lot of people through this language? All right. We're gonna move on. I want to say, Sarah, thanks for watching. It's like 2:30 in the morning your time. Appreciate it. Hopefully, it was worth it. Otherwise, next Monday you'll know to to get some sleep. All right. Thanks, everyone else who's watching, whatever time it is, wherever you are. Let's move to section four: letters and numbers. Well, let's begin section four the way we really should begin every section, which is talking about Sir Isaac Pittman. Uh, And why would you miss an opportunity? Sir Isaac Pittman is a guy, you can see him right here, Um, and he was a lifelong advocate of spelling reform for the English language, producing many pamphlets during his lifetime on spelling reform. His motto was, time saved, is life gained. But we're not going to talk about spelling reform right now. We're going to talk about about his system of shorthand, because Isaac Pittman developed... shorthand is like if somebody's a reporter or in a courtroom or something, and they want to write something fast, and they don't have time. Like, think if you were trying to write down what I'm saying right now. And I kept talking faster and faster. It would be way too hard to write out all the letters to accurately capture this wonderful stuff I'm saying. So you have to find a way to write notes more quickly. He developed the thing that people use for that. And why it's interesting to this conversation is that in his Wikipedia article, which is of course the final authority on everything, it says that he was a fervent Swedenborgian. And in this article here from the Smart Set by Drexel University, entitled The Alphabet and Nature of Of nature and angels, it talks about how his shorthand he developed may have been influenced by his uh, heavy uh, participation in Swedenborg's ideas, and what Swedenborg says about the language of angels. So is this an example of all this abstract angelic language stuff actually coming down into a form that's helping people and being used? So this is a little clip from the article.
3: Sir Isaac Pittman, born 1813, died 1897, didn't invent shorthand, but his system is the most widely used among English speakers today. Most of us don't get a chance to meet angels. If we did, we wouldn't know what to say. Isaac Pittman was trying to bridge this gap. Perhaps he thought he had found an answer in Swedenborg. Human speech could never directly express thoughts and feelings, because this would make human words divine. But human speech was a lot closer to thought and feeling than writing, which was just another mediation. If written language could be streamlined to directly express speech, writing could be a more immediate expression of people's thoughts and feelings. To achieve this, writing could focus more on tones than letters, like the angels. The spoken word could flow easily from one person to another. When that word was written down, the writing could express the word's richness without losing its meaning writing could be closer to wisdom and love.
0: So that's just a little excerpt of a much longer, very cool article. I recommend you go and check it out. But that shorthand, and we have a picture of it here, um, like that 1980s, that is what he developed. And it was influenced most likely by Swedenborg's description of angels and how they talk. And you can see it, it's like these little curvy symbols that are, I I read the whole thing, it's meant to, like, follow the sound of speech, rather than reconstruct it afterwards out of letters. So notice the curves, and then let's take a look here at heaven and hell, number 260. In the inmost heavens, the writing consists of various curving and bending forms, and these curves and bends are in keeping with the form of heaven through them, angels express the treasures of their wisdom, including many things that they cannot say in words. Believe it or not... also I didn't even notice that before in rehearsal, that there's things ange- angels can't even say in words, they can just uh, write. Believe it or not, the angels know this writing without practice or teachers. They are inwardly gifted with it as they are with the language itself. So this writing is heavenly writing. So again, this direct expression. The reason they are inwardly gifted with it is that all the outreach of angels' thoughts and affections and therefore for all communication of their intelligence and wisdom takes place in keeping with heaven's form. This is why their writing flows into that same form. I've been told that before letters were invented, the earliest humans on our planet had this kind of writing, and that it was transferred into the Hebrew letters, which in early times were all curved, with none marked off by straight lines, the way they are now. This is why there are divine things and treasures of heaven in the words, even in its jots and points and little horns." So there's further on this, the mystery of the spirituality of Hebrew that they, that initially, And we we did a show about this, the the spiritual history of the human race. Initially, there was this full connection with heaven, and we even got our writing through it, that it was just all, it was open, you know, what was theirs was ours. And we had our first language from that, but that, and that Hebrew... Uh, pulled from that language, and that in its initial form was closer to that language than our modern languages are now. And it makes you want to take a look at ancient languages. Uh, here we have a, a few of them, and you just that you know how different they are from what we have now. And is there something heavenly in those? I know Swedenborg talks a lot about Egyptian hieroglyphics on, on the left, uh, and how those were correspondences themselves. You know that they they came from that same sort of root. So. Just something cool, and that the study of of ancient languages and archaeology can be the study of the spirituality of the early human race, and maybe there's something we can learn from it. You know? All right, so let's not get out of here without paying a, a few uh, paying a few respects, our respects, paying our dues to math, mathematics. Yep, yep, we're gonna do it. Swedenborg doesn't leave that out. That that actually can be a very powerful and, believe it or not, emotional tool of writing, and here he talks about it. I have also seen written materials in heaven comprising nothing but numbers arranged in a pattern and series, just like the writing of letters and words. And I have been told that these writings come from the inmost heaven whose heavenly writing comes out as numbers for angels in the lower heavens, when thought from the higher heavens flows down. I have also been told that this numerical writing unfolds mysteries, some of which cannot be grasped by thought or expressed in words. All numbers do, in fact, correspond and have meaning depending on their correspondence, just as words do, but with the difference that numbers represent general entities and words-specific ones. Since one general entity involved countless specific ones, numeric writing enfolds more mysteries than alphabetic writing does. In this kind of writing in heaven, the number on which the following numbers depend in sequence is always put first, as though it set their theme, for this number is a kind of title on the matter under consideration. And the numbers, title of the matter, under consideration. And the numbers that follow serve to delimit the matter more specifically. So not just numbers communicating equations, but communicating concepts that we would write in letters that would somehow, but when the highest, the deepest, the wisest angels talk, you know, lower down, it comes out as numbers. You hear that math is the universal language, so there's something to that too, and I'd love to do a show entirely about mathematics sometimes. So that's on the way. For now, let's all of us move on to part five. So we had some more cool stuff, um, and I couldn't quite think, how does it all tie together? So this is just everything else, but it doesn't mean it's lower quality content, because some very fascinating stuff in here. So if you could get through the other sections, you'll get through this one just fine. Okay, so in the beginning, remember, everybody was in a state of panic, because we said, wait! Angels talk to people, do you remember that? And I said, you've got to wait till this section. Dink! Well, look at us! we're in that section. So let's figure this out. How can so many people have experience talking to angels, and yet Swedenborg says, angels can't speak in people's languages? Is he wrong? Is everyone else wrong? What's the answer? Here it is. Heaven and Hell, 246. Angels who talk with us do not talk in their own language, but in ours, or in other languages in which we may be fluent, not in languages of which we have no knowledge. The reason for this is that when angels talk with us, they turn toward us and unite with us. And one consequence of this union is that the two parties have much the same thought processes. Since our thinking is closely allied with our memory and our language flows from it, the two parties share the same language, the two parties being us and the angels." Further, when angels or spirits come to us and unite with us by turning toward us, they enter into our whole memory so completely that it seems exactly as though they themselves know everything we know, including our languages. And Swedenborg knew a lot of languages. So, I know for sure Swedish and Latin and I believe English. So, he he knew a number of languages. So, he probably could communicate with angels in those languages. But that they're, they're getting them from us. That they, oh, this guy knows this language, okay, this is how we speak to them. This is not how they would talk to each other, but they can talk to us like that. So I think that that's cool. And he said that, that talking to angels, there's this uniting of minds. And let's, let's explore that a little bit further in Heaven and Hell 252. For people who talk with angels, heaven is actually united to our world and our world to heaven. For when angels turn toward us, they unite themselves with us so completely that it seems to them exactly as though whatever our, is ours is actually theirs. This applies not only to the elements of our language, but to what is involved in our sight and hearing. In addition, it seems to us exactly as though the things that are flowing in through the angels are really ours. The earliest humans on our planet enjoyed this kind of union with heaven's angels, which is why their times are called the Golden Age. Because they acknowledged the divine in human form, and therefore were acknowledging the Lord, they talked with heaven's angels as they did with members of their own family. And heaven an- heaven's angels talked with them in the same way. And in them, heaven and this world were a single whole. And Isn't that how it should be? People say, oh, if there's really God. There's really angels. Why can't we talk to them? Why can't we, why is there all this secrecy or this silence? And there's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be that you can talk to angels like you talk to your own family. Uh, It would uh, help answer a lot of questions, right? And hopefully we can work back into that groove where that can happen. So, I understand some of you are probably upset because we're reading so many things from the book Heaven and Hell, and we're not diversifying enough, so let's read from true Christianity. (laughs) And this is one last little thing. Uh, I just wanted to pop it in because it's so interesting. The notion that there is one God flows into our souls from God, because everything that is divine as a whole and in every detail is God. And because everything that is divine is integrated into a unity, it cannot help but inspire in us the idea of one God. This idea grows even stronger as God lifts us into the light of heaven. In an angelic light, the angels cannot force themselves to say gods. In fact, every phrase of their speech ends rhythmically on a single beat a phenomenon that arises from no other cause than the notion inflowing into their souls, that there that there is one God." So I don't know what that means, flows and ends on a single beat, something like that. Uh, somehow, the idea that there's one God flows into the way that their sentence structure works there. So we had gotten all this material, so there, there's one little thing, we gotten all this material and we're like, we got our show ready, and then uh, we found another passage. Karin found another passage that's like, this really awesome story that Swedenborg tells about this experience of spiritual language. So we got to put it in there. So this is what we're going to close with today. This is from Swedenborg's Spiritual Experiences uh, number 448 to 452. It's just me, because we ran out of people to read these, so it's just me reading it. But we put some imagery to it to help it make some more sense, and just, it's a bit of an odyssey, so let's just go on it together. Today, while I was writing, I became aware that heaven was speaking, but I did not understand anything. Now, I am told that they had been glorifying the Redeemer of the human race. I perceived only a surge, as if of a distinct beam, and universal elements somewhat sparkling, so to speak, so that I would recognize them to be universal, having no regard to persons or to oneself, but only to realities in general. Besides this, I heard a different kind of speech during both periods of sleep last night and the night before, an inward pictorial speech. It was amazing, beyond the imagination of any person on earth. In sleep or in a sleeping state not quite yet almost awake, I was able to grasp what it meant. But since I awakened, I have not been able to express it, no matter how hard I try. Today, while awake, I also learned how these matters stand. As for the pictorial speech of the angels, anything whatever that is encountered is taken as an object, whether it be an affection, or an insight, or anything of that order, and by means of these, delicate displays are created. So the objects are realities apart from objects of the senses, such as an affection, an insight, a color. These objects then arrange themselves according to the subjects being thought about. It is due to this, then, that the heavens have communication with mankind. As for the other kind of speech, it is a cosmic thinking in realities withdrawn from objects of the senses, apart from persons which cannot easily be described. There is yet another, truly angelic speech, which did not come to my perception except as something general from the conversation." and from the feelings it produced. So there you have it, and now we're going to go to our questions. But before we do, can you do me a favor, please? If you're enjoying the program, please click like. It matters. It's not just a vanity thing. It helps YouTube uh, rank it higher, so more people will come and see it and hopefully get plugged into something that's helpful for them. Please like, and for the same reasons, please subscribe. If you haven't already, you'll get our videos when they come out. And also, again, it makes us appear more um, SEO-y, you know, that YouTube is going to put us out there. And some people might not want to see us there. That's fine. But some people find this stuff and they think, this is really something I like having in my life. So you can help pass that along just by subscribing. And then you'll see when we put out new videos too. We'd appreciate it. All right, let's take your live questions. Get them in now. We'll be back in 15 seconds. Part of the show where, you know, we, we flow, <clears throat> we answer questions, or we try, we talk about them. And let's get to our first one right now. Lee, YouTube. When we were in the world, our thoughts and language was worldly. Will we develop a better understanding of spiritual talk? Yes, um, we will. Swedenborg talks about You notice, uh, he says, you learn the angelic language innately. You even learn angelic writing innately. He also says that we become, in the spirit, you're more articulate. You understand things better. And this is across the board. You know, uh, for for some people, it's very hard to, to, in certain situations, say what they mean. You know, oh, I I should have said this, I should have said that. That they are, everybody can speak really well and that that's, that's something that, that comes just from being lifted out of the body. Um, and then, furthermore, you're continually perfected in wisdom, and your ideas are continually improved, so you get more and more eloquent and start to rock it off into all these different kinds of languages he's talking about, the pictorial forms, and all these kind of cool things. So, certainly, you, your ability to put out information and to absorb it gets more better and more better, as I understand it, based on Swedenborg. All right, thanks. Next one is from Guy, YouTube. I have read in certain work of Swedenborg that some communities or worlds have issues understanding each other because their spiritual understandings are too different. Can Curtis elaborate on this? Um, So, spiritual distance, as Swedenborg describes it, is caused by similarity or dissimilarity of affection. Um, That things are farther apart the less similar what people love are is, and that, that uh, speech ideas are sort of an expression of the love that you have. So he talks about spiritual distance. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what which thing you're referring to here, but I'll just give a general, uh, you know, this is a general laws of what Swedenborg says about this kind of stuff, um, that as you go from, to different kinds of love, your ability to understand changes. Uh, He talks about like a piece of paper that started up in the highest heavens and had some the marriage of goodness and truth written on it, and as it passed down into lower heavens, um, it got more obscure until finally it was down in the world of spirits and into the hells. It got more and more obscure until it meant its opposite. So there's that kind of distance. Um, Then also there are people um, uh, who... Have a uh, well, I, actually, I don't want to finish that thought yet because he does talk about you can have your understanding raised up at any time, but so that you can understand these deep mysteries, but when you're let down and left to your own devices, you turn away. You forget what you... because the will can't... there's two parts of us, the will and the understanding. The will is like your your motivations, your feelings, and that can't just be moved all around. The the understanding can't. So if your will is opposed to it, even if you knew it before, you'd forget it and push it away. So um, that's the elaboration I'm going to give right now. If uh, There's probably a lot more good things to say about it, um, but... Uh, so let me know where, where you're talking about it. I can look it up and and say more about it but those are my basics hopefully that was worth your time okay let's take a look at the next one sir laugh a lot f is there any, is there money in heaven do angels in any heavens use money not that i have heard from swedenborg um, there we did a show called eight strange places in the afterlife and there you had a A story that was told about these guys. They weren't in heaven, they were in hell, I believe, or World of Spirits, I think hell, and they sat around this table and imagined that they had these little flakes of gold and they imagined that there were tons of gold coins and that they were the richest people in the country. Um, So there you have some kind of money, but that's not in the heaven side of things, and it's really more of a fantasy about wealth. In heaven, as Swedenborg describes, the major necessities, uh, nourishment, housing, those kinds of things, are just, are given people. Uh, He doesn't talk about a need for exchange. Uh, There's a lot of very earth, our society, like things about heaven. He describes everybody has a job and they do it, but it's not the same transactional thing where you have to do it or you don't get paid, because people would never not want to do it. This is what they love to do, is contribute to society. He does talk about, in certain areas of hell. If if you don't work, you don't get food for that day, even though you don't die without food, but it's just like a nourishment, like a happiness thing. You don't get clothes, that kind of... So there is sort of that transactional thing there to try to get people to participate, but in heaven, as far as I'm aware, there's nothing like that kind of keeping people together. In this world, we have to use it as a tool to keep things functioning, but I don't think so. So there's my answer on that one. Okay, so let's go more. Another question, please. Sandra A-P-S-S-2008. What about the A vowel? He doesn't mention the A vowel, did he? And I'm gonna go ahead and use one of my I don't know cards for this, um, because uh, I don't know what he says about that, and I don't want to just make something up. I think it's a good one, and what about why? You know, if we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, I don't know. I would have to look... I don't know if he, he mentions it. He doesn't go on extensively about angelic language uh, in that with the specifics of how lettering works, and it's interesting because it's sort of... it's different writing anyway, but there still are those corresponding sounds, and I don't know if... you know how we have in English sort of different sounds for different vowels depending on how they're used, um, I don't know if those different sounds have different sort of correspondences. So you are heavily in the territory of things I don't know. Hope you enjoy it there. Um, So sorry about that. Okay, next one. Jim. Hi, Curtis. Will I see my beloved grandma when I die? Hi, Jim. Um, I absolutely believe so. That's one of the things that, that seems like everybody's saying that. Meaning, Swedenborg talks about people being reunited with their families again, that we're all given the chance to go see people, not not just our families, people we've known, our friends, you know, Swedenborg met a ton of people in even during his spiritual experiences um, that, that he knew, that you get to... Love is what makes connection. Love, like I said before in an answer to a previous question, the, the di- more different people's love is, the more it pushes them apart, the more closer it is, the more they love each other, it brings them together. So you and your grandma would be like a magnet, drawing toward each other there. Not only Swedenborg is saying that though, that's just a staple of near-death experiences, all kinds of things. So, I would absolutely say you're gonna see her um, and I would imagine she's gonna be there right at the beginning. Uh, it sounds like you guys had a cool bond. Um, so, for what it's worth, I think yes. I think yes, and I think she's probably looking forward to that day a lot. So, those are my thoughts on it. All right, so let's take a look at another question. F C O G Z A. In Swedenborg's books, he says incredibly beautiful things that move me deeply about his conversations with angels, but I want to know if in some places he talks about his personal relationship with God. Also, Chris, I want to know how is your personal relationship with the Lord? Uh, you have to ask the Lord about that, <laughs> how he thinks it's going. I think it's pretty good, man. I think it's um, like everybody, it's like sometimes... I'm really tuned in, and I'm thinking about, and how do you, I'm answering your second question first. How do you build that relationship with God, you know? uh, You gotta, like, because it's, it's different than building a relationship with a person. You know, you call, you call someone, you hang out with them, uh, but with God it's a little different, right? Because you can't have this one-on-one conversation. I feel the most plugged in when I'm operating, when I'm shaping my worldview based on what I consider to be the spiritual truth. Swedenborg says, truth, or God is love and wisdom, or goodness and truth, and that the more that we incorporate that, live lovingly, the more we plug in, you know? um, I do think about God. I do talk to God. Um, I don't always get, I don't ever get the response I'm looking for, but I do it. Um, And I really like learning the things that Swedenborg says are of God. So I think it's pretty good. But then again, you know, God might be like, oh, man, he never does this, he never calls. Uh, I don't know, you're going to have to ask him about it. Um, as far as Swedenborg's personal relationship with God, you're going to find, I think, more material on that in his Journal of Dreams um, and in some in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences. But really, the Journal of Dreams is where you, you hear him like, really emotionally talking about his that he was on this journey to realize his dependence on God. Um and obviously he has you know you know God is the center of everything for him and that God is um is the everything behind everything and that he was knowing that hey everything good I do comes from God. So if you're looking for more, check out his Journal of Dreams. I think that's where it is at its most raw. So it's a great question. Thanks very much, uh, and hopefully that was helpful. Um, next, Rocky Soul. When Swedenborg talks with spirits and angels, he seems like he is always the smartest person in the room. Are there writings where his thought are proven wrong by an angel or spirit? Yes. Well, that's, that's a great point, because he does. Sometimes Swedenborg comes in, and he like is telling angels what's up. Um, it does happen sometimes, um, but there certainly is the reverse, um, where he says something, and I remember there's a story even in the book, Married Love, where he is talking to some wise male angel, and uh, and the male angel is talking about his wife, and Swedenborg says, "Oh." What does your wife have to do with your wisdom? And the angel starts to laugh at him and even calls his friends over, like, this guy doesn't know what... So, (laughs) they're not that mean about it, but that certainly does happen. Um, And bear in mind that Swedenborg um, uh, describes levels of heaven, that there are... um, there are, you know, he, angels is a very broad term, in the lowest sense, just describing people who are just, like, pretty good, but they're not like, whoa, you know, all the way up to, even in this episode, he just, we we read him describing that he was taken up with those angels, and um, they, they said all this stuff to him, and he couldn't even remember it when he came down. There are also a lot of instances of him learning. I mean, obviously, he learns a lot from angels, so this is things that he didn't know, and that he is being told. So I. you will come across numerous stories where, yeah, he is not the smartest guy in the room. And you'll also see it in, especially in his journal of dreams, he's like, he's like, I don't know anything. Um, and then in spiritual experiences, he'll talk about where he was, he was wrong and those kinds of things. So, but yeah, but it also is interesting that sometimes there are angels and Swedenborg seems to be correcting them. Uh, I know other times he'll be meditating. It's like, I was meditating on the so-and-so, and the angels came and said, Did you, do you want to learn more about so-and-so? And he's like, yeah, I do want to learn. So, he's not the smartest guy in the universe, even if sometimes he knows enough to, to be the top in the, in the room at the time. So, there's my answer to that. Um, next. Question, Micah, dear Curtis and your wonderful colleagues, (laughs) take a bow, everybody, is it possible, even remotely possible, that we are actually in some kind of hell, albeit a less severe kind of hell? With thanks. Well, feels like it, doesn't it? Um, I would say, yes, and this is what I mean by that. Um, According to Swedenborg, I mean, the mind is connected to both heaven and hell. Um, So, I can be in hell right now, you know, It depends on what you're thinking, how you're feeling, but the spirit actually moves. So your experience, even though you're in the physical world, um, you're in hell as to the spirit. And sometimes you're getting let down into a place where you're learning. Sometimes you've embraced hell, like the love of harming other people full on, so that you don't even get communication with heaven. You're so entrenched in hell. However, I don't know if this, this planet that we're on... A lot of people are finding heaven. You see a lot of both in this world. Swedenborg describes it as this is sort of like the edge of the beach, or the meeting point between heaven and hell. Uh, So, and that we we regularly can interact with both. So, life can be hell, and you can be in hell in different parts of your life, but there is a difference between the state that Swedenborg calls hell um, and the state that we're in now. It's all semantics in a way, You know, um, but, you know, in terms of, hey, is there a much better life out there than this one? Yeah. And are we like real backwards as compared to how we can get if we get turned around by God? Absolutely. Um, Swedenborg says we're immersed in all kinds of evil, even if we sometimes don't realize it. So that there is a hell side, that our souls are being brought into heaven, we're being cleaned up. So there are elements, what you say, there are elements of that for sure. Um, And if you want to, if we need to call this, kind of hell, we can do it. And I think people will be like, yeah, man, I'm with you. So those are a few thoughts on that. Uh, So, in general, yes and no, and no and yes, okay? All right, so two, oh, we had two more, now we have three more. We'll do them all. We'll do all three of these, and then I think we'll wrap it up. Let's take a look at our next one. Lisa, is correspondence a form of spiritual language? If Swedenborg taught himself to put himself in a state of mind to communicate with spirits, can we do the same, or was he chosen to reveal this information? So, yes, correspondence is definitely a form of spiritual language, and that was part of what I was trying to take a look at with the William Stillman thing, is is that language universal? Are people seeing this? As far as, can we learn to read correspondences? I think so. And I think, like, you, know, you have indigenous cultures around Native Americans, um, you know, a certain animal sighting would mean something to them, you know, I believe, right? And is that? Knowing correspondences, can we see them? Can we know by what's going on in the physical world, what's going on in the spiritual world? That's very possible. Could you learn enough to do that? I would think so. I mean, if it's a system that's consistent, you should be able to. I don't know if there's enough material to do that or not. But also, so, the answer to your second and third questions. Um Yes, he was chosen, according to him, to reveal this information, that this was like... This was not just like he was hanging out and climbed himself, climbed up, you know, And now I'm here. That this was was the divine saying, hey, I want you to do this specific thing right now. Actually, I've been preparing you your whole life to be able to impart this, to be the right kind of person that can gather this information and dispense it in a form that those guys who are going to watch that show down the road can get, you know. Um, That is something that was him. But it doesn't mean that nobody else can do it. Um Swedenborg does talk about that that we should be able to have this ability. A lot of it has a moral component to it that if you want to really be going in the right direction breaching the veil, you want to be, you know, making sure you're not doing bad things, doing good, taking the path of spiritual growth and regeneration. But as far as like lifting that veil, I I would imagine there are ways to do it and it should it's everything is a system. So if we learn the system, you should be able to read it. And it could be that, uh, starting with dreams, that the more you can learn about dream symbolism, that can begin to speak with you, and then maybe that moves on from there. So I think, yeah, man, that's what I think. Okay, two more. Let's take a look. Eric, why does God occlude himself from most of us, but reveal himself to Swedenborg? Yeah, um, so that's kind of a good question to follow that last one. And it can be frustrating because, um, I often feel like I would like to have the kind of access that Swedenborg had, that he could know all these secrets and this kind of thing. Um, and that he could get answers, immediate answers. If he had a negative thought come into his head, he could see where that come from, what does it mean? You know, he could know all kinds of things that I would like to know. So why did he get to know all this and we don't? And I think the answer is, there's a show that we did a while ago called, Why Don't Our Loved Ones Communicate With Us More? And the basic message of that, because you'd think, if people died and they love us and we love them, and there really is life after death, why don't we hear from them more? Or why do some people hear from them and other people don't? The basic message of that show was that it's complicated. It's not just like, do they want to, do they not want to. The example I always give is, this show right now, the only reason you guys can see me and hear me is because of this incredibly complicated technology that's making this happen. You know, you just think about the, the the level of sophistication of the technology that makes this possible. You have to use the system, and that even spiritual things, there's a similar system, that for that communication to happen, our minds have to be in the exact right form, we have to have the right beliefs and knowledges and structures, and that, that it's not just like, oh, you can just do it because there could be harm done, Uh, you know, it might, that that actually the processes, it would interrupt the processes that are going on here, that the stuff going on here is very important, The the development that we're doing here in our ignorant state is very important, and that this might disrupt that. Or that there are things blocking, we talked in the other one about people spreading stuff around their minds that keeps God from coming in. Uh, The overall nature of the human race, Swedenborg says that in the most ancient times, everybody was talking to angels, it wasn't just the Swedenborgs of the world. Everybody had this access point, but the human, the nature of the human psyche changed. The system was broken. Somebody cut the ethernet cable, right, and smashed the router so that there's not this ability to communicate, and we're suffering sort of the fallout from that, because there is an order to everything. So, for all those reasons, it's not just that God likes Swedenborg more, that there's a system. So even though God is unlimited, he works through means. He has to work through means. Like, okay, Swedenborg, I've been priming this person to disperse information. So now I've got it, and we can put it in books and then get it to people. It's not like it's only Swedenborg. Plenty of people are seeing uh, and, and getting messages. But yeah, you and I, Eric, we don't get it like they do, and I'd, that, those are my reasons why. And maybe those are satisfying and maybe they're not, um, but I tried my best. All right, so one more and then we'll let you all go. Jessica, what does Swedenborg say about our gender on the other side? I'm interested more so surrounding transgender people. Well, I'd say there's two questions there. One is, what does Swedenborg say about our gender on the other side? He says that you stay what you are, you know, and he actually says that uh, you're you're more so if you're male, you're more you're still as much or more so male. If you're female, you're more so female. However, what w- so which do you stay if you're transgender? So what's going on with that? That's a different question, and he doesn't talk. He doesn't say anything about that. What do people like? Intersex people. Some people are born with sort of organs of both sexes. So Which ones are they? And like the doctors have to make a choice. You know what goes on there. I, that I would love to know. So back to Eric's question, why can't I just go ask God what is going on with that? I don't know. Um, and yeah, you you, you hear these stories, people will have a body of one gender, but very strongly feel like they're the other gender, and they can't be happy until they're that other gender. So um, I don't know, man. I don't know. The answer is I don't know, and I would love to know. There, there wasn't such a thing as trans, like you couldn't, like what we now consider transgender, where you like can get surgeries and those kinds of things, obviously wasn't happening back then. Whether you know, there probably were people with the same kind of uh, feelings, but I, I I haven't found anything in Swedenborg that deals with that. The answer has got to be something good, something that everybody winds up happy. That's got to be the answer, because God is love and wisdom. But if I knew the answer to that, we would do a show on it for sure. Okay. So there's my there 's my answer to that uh, now there 's one more question I said we were not going to do we 're only going to do three more, but I found another question so let 's do it okay This one is the carry cools <laughs> the carry cool me sick. when we pray to God, what is the significance of the name used to pray? Is Jesus or Jehovah preferred? What does Swedenborg have to say about this? Okay, first I'm considering the last part, what does Swedenborg have to say about this? Because he probably, I mean, Swedenborg, as somebody was mentioning in another episode, he, or maybe not a, not a live question, but a question I got afterwards during the week. Yeah, I try to read as many of those as I can. too. Um, he, he, if you haven't noticed, he has a very uh, Christian flavor to him right? That is the basis of things. However, so it may be that he talks about the importance of the the name of Jesus. However, it's not that simple. Because first of all, he says, if people live by their belief system, their religious traditions, that can be the pathway to heaven for them. So it's less about the name, it's more about the quality. We had a show back in the day called Who or What is Jesus? where he talked about Jesus and that the name of Jesus Christ is that Swedenborg says spiritually, someone's name is their quality. So the qualities of love and wisdom—that's the quality of Jesus Christ, right? So that—that's the name. That's what's important. Um, as for how much power specific words carry in them, I don't know. It could be, could be a lot, could be a little. I would imagine though, it's what it means to you. I think some people have a very powerful connection with those names, Jesus or Jehovah. Others may have a very a hard time stomaching those. If you're somebody who's had some really negative experiences with Christians doing bad things to you or your ancestors in the past, it might be really hard. And in that case, maybe it's blocking you off. I'd say go where the heart is. However, all this Jesus talk has got me thinking about our next episode, which is called The Spiritual battles of Jesus Christ. So I'd love for you guys to tune into that. We're going to actually delve deeper into the Jesus phenomenon and what Swedenborg had to say about it. So that's going to be cool and get into this idea that that he was actually, Jesus Christ, was experiencing spiritual warfare into the mind his entire life. What that means for us and for the human race and why Jesus, all those kinds of things, answered then. Hey, if you want that episode to happen, Could you make a donation? Just kidding. Well, we're going to do it either way. But if you want to support the show, click this thing right here. It's a donate button. We have a, a five to one matching right now, so your donation will get matched by five by a grant that we got. So we'll get a lot, even if you just give a little. You can click here, you can look in the description, you can hover over, there's a little eye up in the corner. You click that, you can donate, you go on our main page, there's a donate button. Obviously, we love money, we put these buttons everywhere. Well, But in all seriousness, this is how this stuff happens, you know, is that we we get the, the resources to make it happen. So if you are benefiting from this, and if, if you're just watching for the first time, don't worry about it. If you don't feel like you got the money to do it, don't worry about it. What we want is that you're feeling pumped and you want to contribute and, and have that money, energy, do that in the world. That's when you can do it, alright? So no pressure if it's not the right time. Alright, so again, we're going to do an episode next week called The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Don't you want to be there? Same time, same place. See you then. Thanks for another great episode. All the questions were awesome. Fun hanging out, and I'll see you next time.